Love can be exhilarating and wonderful, but it can also be painful and complicated. Join clinical psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. David Hawkins, as he reveals the truth about the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of relationships. Listen in as he gives you practical tips for hope and healing. Welcome to the podcast, Mad in Love. Welcome to another episode of Mad in Love. I'm your host, Dr. David Hawkins, and today we have my favorite series on this podcast. I don't know if that's true. Well, I like it a lot. Okay, it's Dr. Hawkins Reacts, where my colleague Jonathan Glover and I react to Reddit posts, and my producer, Katie Buckley, compiles them for us. So let's dive right in. What do you have for us today, Katie? All right, starting strong. We have a post written by someone called Tall Entertainer 835. And she wants to know she's a 36 year old female. My child, who is a seven year old daughter, asked if she could ride her pony to school last week. For context, we have a small paddock attached to our home where we keep two horses one for me and one for my child. Every morning, Before school, my child gets all of her pony chores done before we leave, and normally we walk to school, which is about 20 minutes. We live on the outskirts of a fairly populated city where it's not uncommon to see horses, but we are are by no means a rural village. I agreed to let my daughter ride her pony to school because I thought it was harmless fun, and also it gives the pony some exercise, and we have some evening plans, and we would be riding that evening. We arrived at the school gates and, of course, gathered a little bit of a crowd, which wasn't a problem. The pony's very good and lapped up all the pats and strokes from the kids. One girl came bounding over from the year above my daughter and started shouting at me, saying that she wanted to ride. I politely told her that she couldn't because she doesn't have a riding hat and she would have to learn on a safer horse. She immediately started hysterically crying and pleading with her mom, saying that he wanted to ride. Her mom looked at me with disgust and said, see, this is what happens when you have no self-awareness and bring an effing horse to school and stormed off, dragged her kid with her. I was taken aback, but ignored her, sent my child to school and walked the pony home. I was talking to my friends this weekend and she said I was the problem and I was blatantly showing off and I should have known this would cause upset and problems. My response is that I turn up to the school gate with my riding boots regularly, so everyone probably knew I had horses. Is that showing off too? All I wanted to do is let my daughter do something a bit silly and fun. Now I'm really overthinking it and feel nervous to do a school drop-off tomorrow. Am I the a-hole for letting my daughter ride her horse to school? And she made a little edit to clear up something. She said that she's based in England and that the pony went into never went into the school grounds. There's a small patch of grass about 30 meters from the main school gate, and they stood there so no child with allergies would have been uh, subject to horse germs if they were to deliberately come to us. Is she no, the a-hole? No, no, she's not the a-hole. She did something silly and fun and spontaneous, which I can't really relate to, <laughs> to be honest. Like, okay, you know, and we didn't have horses when I was growing up, but... If we did, I might have asked my mom and dad if I could ride the pony to school and 
So she took a chance and it had some reverberating impact that she couldn't have really anticipated. I mean, maybe we live and learn, right? So maybe she'll walk away from this experience thinking, uh, maybe do it a little differently next time or not do it. But no, I thought it was silly and fun. It brought a smile to my face. That's my vote. Jonathan, what do you think? <laughs> um, my daughter would uh, die and go to heaven uh, happy if if she could ride yeah. a horse to school. I agree with you. It's like I want to ask her some more questions about this and kind of dig into like kind of specific moments in in what she's saying. Yeah, I agree with with Dr. Hawkins when he says, you know, live and learn. It might be good to just note that and tuck that away to say like, oh, next time something like this happens again, I might want to let the school know about it ahead of time or to see if there's anything that I need to be aware of or any arrangements that I can make ahead of time for that. And that could be a teaching moment for for uh, the daughter as well to say like, oh, you know, this is out of the norm for school drop off, um, or at least for us. And so we're going to just check with the school about it. That that's fine to do. Did she need to do that? No, I don't think, I don't think so. It doesn't sound like it, but it's something that she could learn from and maybe edit for the future. The question that I have is why the defensiveness and why the emotional response to this? What, what's that? And I would want to sort of unpack that a little bit with her to, to say what, why is this so troublesome for you? Is there, a, you know, Dr. Hawkins asked the question, is there a wound in yourself that, that needs attention or needs healing? Is there, is this, is that type of response something that this is really rare for her? Or is this, is that type of response more consistent and something that she's um, kind of had similar feelings at other times. And so I'd want to go into that with her just, just for her own self-awareness or healing or something of that nature. But as far as did she do something wrong? No, I don't think so. I have a slightly different take, Jonathan. You know, if someone looked at me, when someone has looked at me, when they do look at me and say, you know, you should have thought that through, you were wrong. When someone just blatantly shames me, it rocks me. I have never been the kind of person, you know, I hear it spoken about like, ah, like water off a duck's back. I ain't that kind of person. There's no water that rolls off my back. Everything sticks to me. And someone who would blatantly scold me and has blatantly scold me, it rocks me for a little while. So not saying your reaction, Jonathan, is wrong. But I'd have a bad afternoon if somebody just took me to task. I would. And I think that's why I like this post. It was such an innocent thing, but it caused a lot of ruckus. And I wanted to bring this forward because we see this day to day, like just people having a hard time with confrontation. My, My husband hates confrontation. He would be right there with you, Dr. Hawkins. Uh, very uncomfortable if someone were to confront him with anything, even if he, had, he hadn't done anything wrong. But there, in this case, she's a mother. She wants to do something fun for her daughter. Technically, I didn't see anything wrong with it, unless there's some city rule that they have broke. They didn't even go into school grounds. So that's where I'm bringing this to you as therapists, just how to handle that in a way that could model healthy boundaries for her daughter, even if it's something as silly as riding a horse to school. It was interesting that I wasn't actually thinking about the 
when they got to school and being confronted by that parent. I was actually thinking in terms of her friend talking to her about it and if there was any amount of defensiveness that came up with with that feedback oh uh, yeah, yeah it makes yeah. total sense that she would have an emotional response to i mean she wasn't expecting this this parent to have that type of response i i understand that emotion but when she's talking to her friend, friend about that it, what's going on that i'm just curious like what's going on there has she heard that type of feedback before what is this friend like does she do, do they have a sort of a competitive or contentious relationship i'm I'm just kind of curious about all of that yeah to uh, kind of going off on another tangent here you know i grew up this dates me here to say this but i grew up with the saying sticks and stones will hurt your bones but words will never hurt me that never made sense to me like words hurt me so i i wonder you know when we talk about family functioning and we're going to be reading some more reddits and such people are typically quite callous or quite no not callous or they're harsh so this friend this friend just just uh, that was harsh in her reaction a lot of people are really really harsh and sticks and stones hurt our bones and words hurt us too so i think that's just a good thing to bear in mind especially when we talk about family functioning look your words hurt they can they can hurt someone so i don't know that's that's my uh continued reaction to this story did you All grow right. up with well, that jonathan did did you hear that saying sticks and stones oh yeah do you remember that saying oh okay. yeah i, I, I <laughs> thought yeah. when you said did you grow up with that did i did i grow up riding horses to school i wish <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about the saying i mean i know i'm off on a tangent here what do you think about the saying sticks and stones can hurt your bones but words will never hurt me or i think it that go sticks and stones up, up, can hurt will hurt your bones but your words bones, will never but, hurt yeah. me I think that to say that to somebody who's in pain and hurting is incredibly dismissive. I think it depends yeah. on in which side. So for me, when I hear it, it's a reminder that other people's words doesn't need to hold power over me. But if I were to say to someone, it feels yeah. like a little bit of an ammunition to justify that my words shouldn't hurt someone only if I hit you. So maybe it depends if you're the one saying it or the one listening to it. Yep. Okay. Right, are we ready for the next story? This yeah. is by Nerd Mama. My husband and I, a 40-year-old male, 34-year-old female, are going to his mom's 68-year-old female house for Thanksgiving. She hosts every year, and every year her dogs have been a point of contention. She has a 160-pound St. Bernard, who's about six years old, and overall pretty mellow, but huge. Now she has a new puppy, and this puppy is seven months old and 180 pounds already. I can't <laughs> fathom a 180-pound puppy. That no, that's is crazy. She refuses to lock them, either of them, outside and in their or in their crates when we come over for Thanksgiving, and in general, too, honestly. We asked her to reconsider this year as we have a six-year-old, six-year-old, who is afraid of the puppy, who is huge and wild. She jumps and is very intense, sweet, but doesn't know her own strength. I'm also 12 weeks pregnant, and my 100-year-old grandma will be joining dinner too. My husband asked her, his mom to lock the dogs up, and her response essentially was, no, they're family. For some context, she is extra vulnerable this year as her youngest son had passed unexpectedly two months ago. And I know the dogs have been a huge comfort when she's been home alone as she is not married. 
all of the horribleness of this year aside, it feels like an inappropriate time to let dogs roam. They're constantly jumping, getting into people's faces and lifting themselves up to eat things off of the counter. There is little to no training for either dog. We're considering not going because of it. I can't let, let dogs jump on me and potentially knock me over while I'm pregnant. And our son is nervous about the dogs, but she is struggling this holiday season with such profound loss. Am I the a-hole? I don't think she's an a-hole at all. She, like any of us, are responsible for our own safety and well-being. And my goodness, (laughs) it's perfectly, perfectly, perfectly understandable that she would be concerned about her well-being, her child's well-being. These are small horses. These are these are animals that are they're animals. I mean, I'm I'm a pet owner, and I've got animals. And they they aren't necessarily don't they don't take our well-being into consideration always. So anyway, I would disagree with her about there was only one line in there that I that I was uncomfortable with. And that is she used the phrase it is inappropriate. Can you read that sentence again, Katie? It's inappropriate that da 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 kind of a it feels in inappro- ju- an inappropriate time to let dogs roam. Yeah, it's not. Because there's not, so much going on. No, it's a judgment. I mean, I get it. I get it. So I'm cool with this woman saying, I don't feel safe. I'm not sure I want to go. I'm not sure my son is safe. I'm not sure I'm going to go. It's not appropriate to, to take the next step and go. It's She's wrong. She's not wrong. The mother is not wrong. She wants to let the dog run around the house, eat off the plate, jump up in the, whatever. That's she, That's her right to do that. But it's this woman's right, in fact, obligation and responsibility to take care of herself and her child. That's what I think. Jonathan. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this is uh, this is a boundaries conversation, and boundaries have everything to do with um, are you safe? Are your need, needs being met? And she's identifying that this situation ahead of time. She's saying this this doesn't this doesn't feel safe to me. And I think the the approach typically when you're in relationships is to go to the person and share that to say, I don't feel safe. And here, here's my request. If the request is not met or not followed through with, then it's, it's her responsibility. It's, it's to decide, well, what am I going to do about that? And uh, if it means not going to dinner, then that, that might be uh, what she decides. And it's, it's good. I think it, it would be important to clarify that with her mother-in-law or for her son to clarify that with his mother to say, you know, we, we, cause it, she does sound like she cares about, uh, she does have some compassion for, for her mother-in-law and that's great. And so come forward with that and say, you know, I, we love you. We want to spend time with you and here's some of our concerns so that that way, if she does decide if, if the family decides not to go over there for, for the dinner, at least th- that part is also involved with it, to, the, the care and the compassion and the love. Taking it a, even a step further, Jonathan, I'm mindful that sharing our feelings and making our requests, and perhaps even leading up to setting a boundary, highlights a situation. In other words, this woman, if she goes to her mother-in-law and says, hey, look, I Mm, I don't feel safe. Mm, you know, I'm blank months pregnant. Mm, I'm concerned about my six-year-old son. Anyway, she shares a lot of this information. She makes a clear request. 
the way the mother-in-law responds, and this is why I, I, I presume you do this with clients too, I do, her response will will give you even more information. We have a colleague, Dr. Hunt, who loves to talk about data points. You'll get a data point. You will get information. So your mother-in-law will anything from look at you and go, oh my goodness, wow, I understand. I didn't think about that. Oh, of course I will create the the dogs to, I'm not creating the dogs. Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I, I don't know the mother-in-laws, but you will get a data point. And then from there, you can make your next decision. But yeah, you've got to lead out with, here are my feelings. I feel unsafe. Here is what I'm asking. I want to inform you. And I'm hoping that you'd be willing and maybe even adding to your point, Jonathan, a boundary like, you know, if you were not willing to create the dogs, I'm, I'm, not, sure we're, uh, I'm not sure we're going to come. And yeah. then you're going to get information. And that, right. that's what we all have to do. So we make we make a, a step, and then we get information, and we respond to that. We take another step, we get information, and we respond to that. So none of us ever, it's a strong word, but for the most part, we don't have to be in the dark. We put out information, we listen to the response, and we make our choices from that. And then she sets a boundary. Let's say that the mother-in-law says, no, I'm not, no. No, these are my... These are, these are family. Okay, well, then we're not going to be showing up. And you get another data point. And now does the mother-in-law say, okay, your choice. Ooh, big data point. Or does the mother-in-law then say, oh, gosh, I, oh, my goodness, you're, you're, you're so important. I, I, I really want, anyway, blah, 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 blah. So boundaries so I, I, bring clarity. I understand the, the safetyness in the boundaries because that's important. How do you incorporate the compassion knowing that this woman just lost her son two months ago? There's an uh, emotional response to that too. If I were to be in this woman's shoes, I think I would be riddled with guilt, potentially not being around someone when they're in pain for the holidays. You know, Katie, I think the point there is to have a, I, I call it the word I, I've been using the last, probably the last year, I use the word having a robust conversation. A robust conversation, all that means is we share our feelings. We we make it clear that we're mindful that there's been a big loss. We we invite this other person to share their feelings in response to our feelings. And we have this robust conversation, this this give and take conversation. We, no, we don't walk in and go like, look, I've decided blah, 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 blah. And if you don't blah, 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 then I'm going to blah, blah. We don't do that. We're compassionate and we're sensitive and we invite conversation and feedback. Now, to your additional point about guilt, I don't see a place where the person has to feel any guilt. They are uh, they're making a decision out of their own safety needs and those are valid. Jonathan, do you you have a or, or Katie you have a different take? Well, I think that talking about uh, the the long term goals for for the relationship and what you value, and being clear that that is actually separate from uh, the the safety concerns and and the dogs, that does help clarify and hopefully for her it it uh, alleviates some of that guilt because the intention is to have a good relationship and spend time with her, maybe even spend more time with her at this time of year. And that can be communicated directly. That's a good point. 
to whatever comes about to really guard against anything being, well, then, you know, we want to guard against reactivity. Jonathan, you teach, in fact, you might want to even comment on this. You teach having a wise mind. In DBT, there is a big deal about wise mind. Wise mind, my definition for wise mind is we're approaching a situation thoughtfully, not reactively. We're responding. We're thinking it all through. And to your point, Jonathan, we're mindful that we don't want to say anything or do anything that would damage a relationship. We want to, whatever we decide, if we, if this woman decides, I, I need to not show up, but I, I want you to know I love you. I care about you. I'm, I'm going to miss our time together. But I understand you, you want the dogs to have free, free roam. Okay. But do, do you want to just mention wise mind? Cause I, yeah, seems like the, a, a good the, place to do that. Yeah, the, the, well, it, it's it's appropriate for this. It's actually a really good example here because uh, wise mind is about acknowledging all of the emotions that are present as well. I think a lot of times people think when they hear about wise mind, it's just you know doing the right thing or you know problem solving it in a in a very rational mind way, but it it really is about acknowledging all the emotion that is present as well and paying attention to what that emotion tells us and emotions give us indication of what our needs are and so if we're paying attention to this if we're feeling anxious and fearful about this upcoming event pay attention to that because that that emotion is is giving you an indication as far as your safety needs so that that part is is very important to do and the rational mind component of this is problem solving it and figuring out well what information and what things that are true do I want to hold on to and and bring forward in the conversation, depending on what my goal is for the conversation and perhaps for the relationship itself? We have a professional colleague out there that I know you respect Terrence Real. And Terrence Real, yeah. what he would bring to this conversation is be very careful about what you're telling yourself, the interpretations you're making of anybody's actions. So you're aware of your own story. So if the mother-in-law says, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to create the dogs, and the woman tells herself, well, that means she doesn't care about me. It doesn't mean that at all. doesn't necessarily mean that. I mean, the mother-in-law may not care, I, but I wouldn't presume that at all. But being aware yes. of our own stories. So yes, and guarding absolutely. against and Marshall, that. Marshall Rosenberg has has the uh, the, the very similar yeah. language around around that. What what's the story that you're telling yourself about this? Um, and you really have to be careful. Uh, I, I'm I missed earlier when when you when you spotted that 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 sentence in there, and I think it was a really good catch because that is the interpretation. It is the labeling. It is the mind reading, and that's where if that gets inserted into the conversation that's really where a lot of um, problem uh, dynamics for, for for that conversation lead to highlight that for everyone if not if since the woman said and is thinking it's in up and i'm adding some emotion here it's inappropriate for this to happen and notice i jumped out and said not at all not at all now can I feel unsafe? Yes, I can. Can I decide I don't like it? For sure. But if I jump to she shouldn't be, they shouldn't be, it shouldn't, uh, like, that just, just takes me, it takes me down a really 
dead-end road. Now, there's no should or shouldn't. There is, here's what I would like to have happen, and here's what I'm going to ask for. Here's what's important for me, and I'm going to be clear about it. Right. Getting to the measurables, and ideally in a relationship, if you can have a shared shared uh words what's what's the word for that uh, anyway sure for defining um behavior and measuring behavior that's what the goal is i i have a lot i'm sure you do as well tons of driving examples and a woman will uh the the, the wife says he doesn't drive safe he's an unsafe driver and he's <laughs> he responds with I'm not unsafe. I've never right, been in an right, accident. Right. I'm, oh. I'm not, she's not dead yet. I'm fine. The more productive yep. way to have this conversation around safety and boundaries and, and, and requests is to say, when you drive over the speed limit, there that you makes go. me feel Even, unsafe. Yeah, good catch right there. <laughs> will you, will you please, if I'm riding with you in the car, will you please drive under the speed limit and that's that's the request and like you said data point if he responds with no you're saying i'm an unsafe driver and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do that then that's that's a data point and then she needs to decide (laughs) do you want to get in the car with that guy there you go this is such an important point uh katie we're off on a tangent but i want everybody to take take note you know when uh, you can talk in judgments and accusations it will take you always down a bad path, always. And you want to guard against that, to Jonathan's point. You share what you are feeling and what you're asking, and you guard against shooting, shaming language. And anyway, so, all right. So let's go to the next one. This is by Calligrapher Grand 439. And she says that my ex-husband was a good father, but a terrible husband. I divorced him when he was, when my oldest was 14 and my youngest was 10. He ended up spiraling and the kids were exposed to that. And I blamed him and I was blamed for ruining dad. He got better after a few years, but ended up doing it again when he learned that I was dating. So the kids kept trying to get me not to date since it affected their father. It was an awful time since the kids, since to the kids, I was still responsible for what he did and reacted to things. In the end, I just kept dating on the low end, which wasn't hard since I wasn't introducing the kids to the men anyway. All I had to do was change to not posting on social media. And as a side note, yes, I sent my kids to therapy. They all stopped when they hit 18 or my middle child refused to talk, so I pulled him. Well, now the oldest is 25 and the youngest is 21 and I got proposed to. I sat them down and told them and they were not happy. They were pissed I was doing this to their dad. Lots of talks later, I thought it was good. The wedding was in two weeks. I got a text from all the kids saying that they will not be going to my wedding and that they need to support their dad during this time. I had had enough and texted them that if they do not go to my wedding, it will damage our relationship and I will not be attending their own weddings when they get married. They were upset and they started to argue and all of them think that I'm a huge jerk. I truly hate that I can't do anything that makes me happy since it will affect my ex. And she made a little note. Sorry for the errors on my phone. I'm not a native speaker. (laughs) So is she the a-hole? Oh, my goodness. This has got many. I don't even know if I caught all of the ramifications. Jonathan, you'll help me unpack this. But no, no, she's not the a-hole. The children, my goodness, have they been influenced by the ex 
very much so. Uh, they've been probably, I can't say for sure, but sounds like they have been enmeshed in his feelings and his feeling threatened by her dating and so on. However, all of that said, I'm going to jump to the end. Her retaliating and saying, well, I won't go to your weddings then. Not, not, <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't, no, 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 no. Let's and just you can't come to my keep birthday the issue. Party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No, that's retaliation never works. So she is, there's a, there's a great phrase, Jonathan, you, you've probably heard this phrase, what we don't work out we act out. So there's lots of acting out here on his part, their part, her part. Everybody is acting out. And we're therapists. So of course, I would say something like what I'm about to say. They all have some things to work out. So the ex presumably needs to work out his feelings about her dating. The kids need to work out their feelings about mom dating and dad's involving them. She needs to work out her feelings about them and him. Lots of working out so that it's not a jumbled mess that it appears to be now. Jonathan, what did I yeah, miss I, or I, what do you want to amplify? No, I, I, I wrote down that same word, the retaliation. That was the piece uh, where I, I winced and said, ooh, not, not great. As far as the whole family unit, though, uh, seeing this before in practice with with clients, I wouldn't expect the ex. I would not expect the ex-husband to willingly want to work on anything or to address any of these concerns. There's there's really no motivation for him to do that unless he sees some sort of harmful impact sure. on on someone. So I think uh, you know because he benefits quite a bit from. I'm going to put this in quotes. Playing the victim here, he he gets yeah. he gets a lot of of his stories that. He, Again, the stories that he's telling himself, he gets a lot of that reinforced by seeing the children have this response to to her, but also to him. So I, I think the question more is what do, what do the do the kids want to do about this, and what what can the the mother or the ex wife do in her position? And with adult children, I think it's it's pretty difficult for her to really enact a lot of change in her children either. So there's, there's, a, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of frustration and helplessness in just not being able to directly address or confront these, these types of behaviors, unfortunately. I'm going to gently disagree and then you can disagree with my disagreement if you want, but why wouldn't we, if, if this woman came to us, we would say, something like this to her. You want to date, you get to date. It's okay. You could have been dating. You were dating, but dating is perfectly fine. How you share that with your kids, you have control over that, how you share it. You can share it in a compassionate way. You can listen to their feelings of anger and threat and all the understandable feelings they have. You can sit with them, not be absorbed by their feelings. Here's the guy talking who sticks and stones hurt his bones and words hurt him too. That's me. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, but I can preach it. Tell her to sit down with the kids. And if she holds space, 
You and I know that, that phrase, meaning sit with their feelings and yet be really clear. I'm, I'm going to date. I'm going to marry this man. And it's an exciting time. And if you come to our wedding, I'll be thrilled. If you don't, I'll be so disappointed and leave it at that. And knowing here's another DBT that you can tell us about, Jonathan, knowing that things will be different in a week. And then they'll be different again in two weeks. That's dialectical, meaning everything is always changing. So even though the kids, when she looks at us and says, oh, they won't come to our wedding and they will hold it against me forever. We look at her and we say, yeah, you don't know that. You don't know that. What you know is that you can present your feelings and concerns to them and then you can let them sit with it. And what you do know is that in two weeks, they will be in a different place, and in four weeks, a different place again, and in eight weeks, a different place again. And, tw- and we all can comfort ourselves with knowing that, that things are always changing in ways that we don't even know. Is that all true, Jonathan? Is that DBT? Am I doing okay with that language? Yeah, and, and what you were talking about uh, before to remind yourself that you don't know the future, you don't know what's going to happen, or to say that feelings will you will regulate eventually those are all examples of coping thoughts and that's that's really important to be able to tell yourself those things especially when there is a situation where you do not have control over somebody else's decisions or somebody else's um, behavioral dynamics and those coping thoughts are really important i i agree i think that telling the, the kids this in that direct sort of way is really is really important to do and another skill from dbt uh is to identify what your what your goals are identify what the intention is for this particular conversation and really we are at our best we're the most effective when we choose one goal so for a conversation if she wants to tell if she wants to tell them this is what i'm doing that might be one goal if she really wants to hear what they how they feel and what they're thinking about it and what concerns they might have that might be a different goal if she wants to change their minds and make them do something in particular those would be different goals heads up she she can't um she doesn't <laughs> right, have ultimate right. control of that um right but the 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 point being that it, when you're when you are moving into a conversation where you're trying to express something or when you're addressing things there's lots of things that are true at the same time and uh she wants to identify well what is what is my goal and then she can say well then these are the things that i'm going to bring into this conversation um and this is the order of things would you agree that this woman stands on the precipice of making matters worse or possibly quite better. In other words, she can be make it worse by retaliating and being aggressive and getting into her kid's business and trying to get them to see how their dad has uh, indoctrinated them. And anyway, blah, 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 getting, I mean, just really making matters horribly worse as opposed to just There's another famous phrase, don't just do something, sit there. (laughs) That's DBT too, right? Don't just do something, sit there. Just sit there. Yes, kids, I'm going to marry this man. Yeah, but I know, but I'm I'm going to marry him. Yeah, but what what about, I know, I know, but I'm going to marry him. Well, we're not going to show, well, I, I know. 
I know, and that will be so sad, but I'm, I'm going to marry him. Anyway, don't just do something. Sit there. Just hold space. Is that DBT, Jonathan? DBT-ish? Yeah, well, there's, there's also, yes, uh, there's that broken record um, response. There's, there's a whole section of, of, that addresses how to say no. So ultimately, you, you want to be looking at this, and or she would want to be looking at this, is, is this manipulative on their part? Are they saying, we will not go to your wedding unless you xyz things like that it's are they trying to get her to change her mind and um ultimately what you're describing is saying no she's she's saying no this is going to happen i am making this decision i am very happy with this decision and that identifying where she ends and they and they begin is is also that that boundaries conversation i think that it is it's really what I had mentioned earlier too about identifying the, the goals for the conversation. Another benefit to doing that is you can gauge your own success in that conversation based off of what your goal was for the conversation. Um, mm, I like so that. that then you don't have to gauge your success so much off of the other person's reaction or whether or not they did the thing that you wanted them to do or not. And that's really important to do, especially when there are differences, opinions, or there are lots of different emotional experiences. So this woman could have the goal of, I'm going to simply be clear with my grown kids about my intention to marry this man, and I'm hoping they will be there, and I'm going to communicate that clearly. That's it. Yeah. That's my entire right. goal. Right. And it might be, and it might be I, very important to include a conversation uh, or to include in that conversation her her emotions. If they decide to not attend her wedding, yeah. what emotion does that produce for her? That would be in- incredibly sad. And she w- might want to comment about her long-term goals uh, for her relationship with her children. And, and again, it's that idea of using that wise mind, it does recognize all of the emotions that are present. It doesn't, it doesn't kind of pretend that they don't exist or push them to the side. It's like, no, here, this is the emotion. Okay. All right. This one was a interesting one. So let's go and dive into humble pop 6021. I'm a 32-year-old female. I'm a divorced mom of two. My son is 11. My daughter is nine. My ex and I ended our relationship back in 2017, and he remarried in 2021. His wife has no children of her own. This topic is one that she approached me a few times with me. Starting when my ex first married her, she told me that now they were a two-parent household, and there's no need for me to show up at all to games, recitals, plays, etc. Because she would be going to them, and there only needed to be one. I ignored her because I've always gone to that kind of thing. I am self-employed, and so I could easily plan my working day around the events for my children. My kids also want me there. They always tell me about the bigger moments in their extracurriculars or school and tell me when I should be there or if I need tickets. My ex goes when he can, which is not often, and he never goes to anything he doesn't consider big enough. Well, my ex's wife mentioned to me again last year that she wanted to go alone and I needed to only show up when it's my parenting time. Yet again, I ignored her request and continued showing up. My ex mentioned it to me also, and I told him that we could both go to their activities whenever we like. It is not dictated by the court order since it doesn't take 
parenting time to show up and support our children. My son had a recital a couple of weeks ago and he told me that they were asked if they could get parental volunteers. I said, of course, I would do it. My ex's wife had been asked when she was picking him up from his dance class one day if she could do more and they mentioned volunteers and she offered. We both arrived together and she was upset the whole two hours we were helping out. She was especially upset when I stayed. Afterward, she told me she was trying to create a special bond with the kids, but they will never want her around as long as I'm there. And if I'm a good person slash mom, I would do the right thing and not show up to every event and give her a chance to do it so she could show extra effort for my kids. I told her I will always show up as long as my kids want me and as long as I could physically do it. I told her my relationship with my kids is important and I'll I honestly told her that it's not, this is a strange sentence, so I'm going to skip that. That is my kids' wishes as well as my relationship with them is more important. My ex's wife told me I was an A and she called me selfish and a jealous baby mama and accused me of unreasonable hatred. My ex also gave me a hard time about it afterwards. Am I the a-hole? Wow. No, no. And let's see, her ex's girlfriend... When her ex's girlfriend says this, there's no need for you to show up. You know, that's what John and I were talking about, making judgmental statements. Um, there, there actually is a need for her to show up, and that is she wants to show up. So she has a need to be there for her children. And so the ex's girlfriend is way out of her lane, in my opinion. And this situation, though, I have some compassion for this, for the ex's uh, wife. It's uh, ex's wife isn't not girlfriend, wife anyway. So even though this other woman, she's way out of her lane, she is voicing her own, hey, I'm trying to create a relationship with the kids. And oh, my goodness, I can, I can have sensitivity and compassion for those desires. However, to say there's no need, you don't need to do this, you're an a-hole, no, 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 not at all, not at all, out of her lane. Jonathan, what do you think? In, in saying that, also, she's, she's not focusing on the children or their needs or their, or yeah. their relationship with their mother at all. Uh, it's not about the children, it's all about her, whatever this jealousy or competitiveness or whatever uh, is going on for her. I don't think there's a lot that this woman, what'd you say? Humble pop. Humble um, pop. There's not a lot that she can do to change this, this stepmother's mind in things. But I do agree with you. That was the thought I had is perhaps sort of sidestepping all of this and trying to initiate a new conversation to say, yeah. Hey, I heard that one part that you said about how you really want to establish yep. a a unique and strong relationship with the kids. I'm all for that. And let's talk about what that looks like or I what love that, you would Jonathan. need in, yep. in order to do that. And I'm not going to stop going to their activities, but but to really focus the the attention on like, well, what can we do to make that? I, I'm I'm on I'm on team kids, so let's let's do it. That that is really I, I think we're on to something there, Jonathan. Looking for the opportunity to create a collaborative relationship with whoever it is that we're talking to and about, rather than again getting reactive and no, you can't tell me when to show up or not show up for my not 
No, 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 no. I like it. I like your notion. Sidestepping any temptation I might have to get into a power struggle, seek opportunities to be in collaboration. And if we listen, Rosenberg, you quoted uh, nonviolent communication author Dr. Rosenberg. He, he puts forward essentially if we listen hard enough and long enough, conflict dissolves. Is that always the case? No. But is it often the case? Yes. If we listen long enough and hard enough and compassionate enough, we might just be able to find a place of connection. And yeah, there was one line in there that said, ooh, ooh, this could be an opportunity. Yeah. All right. I All think right. we are up on our time. All right. Well, as always, robust conversation today, Jonathan. And these situations, boy, they, they make me think they're real life. It's what ha this is like, ugh, this is the real nitty gritty of life. And it challenges me to show up well. I hope it challenges all of you to show up well. If any of this resonates with you, you can start by visiting our website, www.marriagerecoverycenter.com to book a free 20-minute phone consultation with one of our very well-trained client care specialists to learn how to get started on getting help. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave us a five-star review and subscribe to our channel to be notified of upcoming episodes. You can learn more about Jonathan uh, on our website, myself and all of our, the clinicians and the work that we do. So until next time, this is Dr. David Hawkins signing off for Mad in Love.